the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I always look forward to my visits with Matt Mayer of OpportunityOhio.org. We visit with Matt every Thursday in the first segment of the second hour. He is exploring a run for governor in the state of Ohio. You can read more about that, his positions on all the issues at OhioMatt.com, and you should follow him on Twitter at OhioMatt. So we wake up today. We've got a, an agreement in the House on the debt ceiling. Feels a little bit like the Speaker of the House vote in the Ohio General Assembly, where we have more Democrats voting for it than Republicans. Yeah, that would seem to be a red flag that it's it's not that great of a deal for the right. And, you know, it's, it's hard. There's so much spin that has come out from every direction on this thing. You know, the punchline needs to be, you know, do you, who are those members of Congress that you kind of is strong conservative fiscal folks and and where are they on the issue? And they seem to be a bit opposed to this deal. So, but, you know, is it the worst thing ever? Probably not. But boy, it, it, it sure seems to be milk toasted best. Yeah, there's only so much you can do with the slim majority that they have in the House. And obviously the Senate is run by Democrats and the executive branch with the president is, if he's even awake, a Democrat. But still, you know, you have to have power in order to use power. So uh, I didn't expect McCarthy to get much. I don't know if he did get much, but it's a warning sign to me if more Republicans vote against it than Democrats. Uh, The House does, though, have the ability to call witnesses and the like. And James Comer is making life miserable for the Bidens with House oversight. And uh, yet again, we have a lawless uh, administration that doesn't seem to feel like a subpoena applies to it. It didn't under Eric Holder in the Obama administration. And now FBI Director Christopher Wray is not complying and taking his good time not complying. Thank you for mentioning Eric Holder, right? Because we've seen this picture before. Eric Holder was held in contempt. And guess what happened to him? Nothing. Nothing. Right. So this is the problem when you have an administration that is as partisan as the Obama administration was and the Biden administration is, right? I mean, keep in mind, there have been January 6th witnesses who didn't comply with subpoenas that were held in contempt by the House and were then prosecuted by the Department of Justice and, you know, convicted, right? I mean, we, we this happened to several people uh, related to January 6th. Mm-hmm. We now have a situation where let's presume they get a contempt article done against Christopher Wray, and it's and he is held in contempt. Well, they now have to depend upon the Biden Justice Department and the ultra hack, thank God he's not on the Supreme Court, yeah. Merrick Garland, right, to then prosecute Chris Ray for contempt. Is he going to do it? No. No way. So so ultimately, this that raises kind of an interesting thing for geeks like you and me, Bruce, which is, oh, does the House then do what it should do, which uses its, its ultimate check? Remember, under our system of federalism and our Constitution, right, the House has the actual final check, which is the power of the purse. It rarely uses that check. Yep. But boy, wouldn't it be interesting if they essentially say, okay, Chris Ray, fine, we're going to play this game. The jet's grounded. We're not doing money for the new FBI building. We're not funding this and this and that. And and stop that whole process in its tracks, right? That's what needs to happen because the idea that they're going to force the Republicans to have to go over to the FBI 
to look at the document they want to see, which they've admitted exists, instead of doing what they did with January 6th, which is send everything under the sun over to Adam Schiff, right? So treating treating folks differently based on party party affiliation, which is wrong, right? And so I hope I hope Comer in, in Kevin McCarthy, frankly, more important to people like me than the debt deal is going to be how McCarthy handles this contempt against Ray, and if they essentially use that ultimate check to get to get a hold of this document that that apparently shows, you know, a, a quid pro quo by the by Joe Biden for five million dollars in Chinese money uh, back in uh, back when he was vice president. So that that's what we want to see, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can't tell if the if the uh, to use the old phrase from the media that applied every single day to Trump during the Russia collusion hoax, the walls are closing in or not. The uh, <laughs> the Democrats like yesterday, we finally finally yesterday we had a media member who asked John Kirby about, look, most of America thinks Joe Biden's corrupt. We've got emails and other contacts and stuff like this that tie him to this country and this country and this country and this country. How do you respond to most of America thinking that Joe Biden's corrupt? And Kirby does what, you know, any presidential spokesperson has to do, uh, probably in most administrations, more so in this one than others. He lied. He said, oh, the president's spoken to this. No, he hasn't. He hasn't spoken to this. He hasn't spoken to anything about the stuff that Comer has found. Well, in fact, well, in fact, he actually has spoken. He's he's lied. He said, "I I have no idea about Hunter's business. I was not involved in any of Hunter's business." Which, again, Bruce, you have you have kids. I have kids. The idea that you get on a jet and take your son yeah. with you over to China and don't say on the I don't know what twelve hour flight, thirteen hour flight, hey son, what are you doing in China? Yeah, like it's absurd to think that he had no idea, let alone was not involved. Right. So we know. There's enough smoking guns from Tony Bobolinsky to emails to text messages that indicate Joe Biden was absolutely involved in some way in this process. The fact that we don't have a special counsel, the fact that the media is not curious at all, and you know, the guy at the Defense Department who asked Kirby, you know, that guy's great. He does stuff all the time, but he's about the only one who ever asked tough questions, right? And this is what makes it so frustrating. You and I see this in Ohio. You know, the, the politicians never get tough questions from the dispatch, from you know, NPR from from Ohio Public Radio. No, they get nothing from from these guys. It's just a walk in the park. And boy, I would love to see some tough questions asked at some point. Yeah, no doubt about it. And our guest is Matt Mayer, OpportunityOhio.org. His website about an exploratory run for governor is OhioMatt.com. You can follow him on Twitter at OhioMatt. When I say Biden hasn't spoken to this, I mean, I know he said, I don't know, anything to do with Hunter's business dealings, but I'd like somebody to ask him, how do your grandchildren get checks? From, from foreign countries. Like, explain that. Like, like explain that. Uh, it's just... Very, in, very easy question, right? Yeah. yeah very easy question. Just, just please explain. How are grandkids getting money from foreign Chinese companies? Well, I'm just curious. How is it? How? Because there is no explanation, right? That, that's the problem. And wh- why does why do you guys need, like, you know, 12 different companies that you flow money through yeah. to, that then eventually ends up into the hands of 14 Biden family members? Like, What's the deal with that? What that looks like is like that looks like the mafia, right? That you have the Don and everybody underneath the Don gets paid very, through various outlets, right? The whole but the family's taken care of. That's what it looks like. And if it looks like that, smells like that, walks like that, then it probably is that. Yeah. You know, I thought of you, Matt, when I saw this story from Wallet Hub, and I know Wallet Hub, they do these surveys just kind of to get clicks and be provocative, but it was interesting to me. They uh rate uh, best cities in America to raise a family, and Cleveland is last in their survey. Now, uh, they evaluated various factors like 
uh, you know, family fun, health and safety, education and child care, affordability, socioeconomics. Cleveland came out last and it doesn't look like it was close. Cleveland was last in the separation and divorce rate, next to last in two parent families, next to last in percentage of families living in poverty, 177th out of 182 in median family salary. And 168 in violent crime rate per capita. The reason I thought of you is because you've talked about how Columbus and Cincinnati might be doing okay, but uh, the rest of Ohio not doing okay. Yeah, well, that's that's the case. But look, I mean, it's, it's equally equally problematic that Columbus and Cincinnati that that are like where everyone's dumb, fat, and happy because they keep getting all this stuff out of government, right? The, the, the best ranked city is Columbus at 66. Yeah. So we're the 14th largest city in America. But in terms of you know places to live, it's 66 on this list. Cincinnati's 100, and then the next one doesn't come in until the 150s and lower. So what that, that what that what does that say about Ohio? Right, not a very good place to come live. I mean, that's as a if you take all five of those city rankings together, right? It, the, the average ends up being somewhere probably at about the 120 for the six cities that they five cities that they rank. So again, it doesn't make it look like Ohio's a very attractive place. That's what's got to change. That's why. That's why I'm looking to, to run for governor because, right, someone's got to start making the big, tough decisions. I call them the bold color decisions, not the pale pastels. Someone's got to start making the bold color decisions to get this state as a place where people want to stay, they want to come, and it prospers, provides opportunity, and it is a beacon of light for the country rather than, you know, you guys are ranked in the kind of bottom third yet again on whatever ranking it might be. I mean, that's just no place for us to be. We can do better. We must do better. We will do better. Matt Mayer, OpportunityOhio.org, is our guest. If you'd like to hear Matt speak, check out his website, OhioMatt.com, as he's getting out and about and talking to a lot of citizens out there, normal citizens, people who love this country. And uh, you and I are both that. So I'm curious, there was some uh, buzz about a national anthem rendition sung by the uh, folk singer Jewel at the Indianapolis 500 on uh, Sunday. It's not the end of the world. I'm just curious, like, are you traditional anthem guy or are you eh, it's okay singing however you want everybody's got their own individual expression you no know, look i'm a traditionalist in most situations right and including the anthem and, and i'm okay with you know if you want to light up a few notes here and there at the end and sometimes that's kind of really awesome when somebody can kind of take it to a different note or extend it or whatever but yeah that's great right but look the anthem is one of the things we all sing along when it's being sung right we're yep. all part of that it's it's not like we all just sit there on our bums and, and just listen, right? We're all engaged in it because it's the national anthem. My sense is you kind of sort of should stick to the basic outline of it so that, again, we all can kind of participate together. It's one of those rare moments in America, especially today, when we're all one voice, literally. How about we kind of keep that in the same bandwidth so that we can all sit, be on the same you know, musical page for that you know 60 seconds of the song we sing together, right? I'm with you. If you're going to take a risk, it better be good. Chris Stapleton nailed it before the Super Bowl. Jewel, not so much. Uh, Matt Mayer, OpportunityOhio.org. Follow him and his exploratory run for governor at his other site, OhioMatt.com. Follow him on Twitter, at OhioMatt. Always fun, my friend. Thanks for your time. Hey, thanks, Bruce. Thanks to Matt Mayer, OpportunityOhio.org, for coming on the show just now. And, again, you can check out Matt's exploratory run for governor at his website, OhioMatt.com. Now, we touched in the interview on Jewel's national anthem at the Indy 500 
on Sunday. And look, I'm not a professional singer. I've sung the anthem one time at a sporting event. I didn't totally blow it. I did it relatively quickly, but I did it traditionally. And while there are a lot of ways to sing the anthem, I think there's only one way to sing it right, and that is to sing it traditionally because traditions matter. And the tradition of the national anthem, we might honor more by singing it the way it's intended to be sung if we knew the story behind the national anthem. It was written by, of course, Francis Scott Key. It was written from a British warship in the harbor as the Battle of Baltimore raged in the War of 1812. And Francis Scott Key had been taken to this British vessel eight miles out to negotiate the release of a prisoner, but because he knew about the attack coming on Fort McHenry, they wouldn't release Francis Scott Key from the British ship. And so his words were heartfelt when he writes about seeing those broad stripes and bright stars of the American flag still flying in the morning after a 25-hour attack on Fort McHenry are powerful, and when the anthem is sung any way other than the way it was intended, it is less powerful, in my opinion, everybody to each his own. But Jewel sang the anthem on Sunday at the Indianapolis 500 in a way that a lot of singers have sung it before, according to their own interpretation. This goes all the way back to Jose Feliciano in the 1968 World Series, and Marvin Gaye sang a famous rendition at the NBA All-Star Game. He, like, made it, you know, R&B, soul, whatever. Uh, But nobody gets ripped for singing the anthem the way it was intended. You get ripped when you try to improve on it or when you forget the words to it. So when Jewel decided to sing it in Jewel style, and the song sounded a lot like, you know, most of her music sounds, which her music's fine. It's just her national anthem rendition is not her music. It's a traditional song that needs to be sung the traditional way. So here's a little flavor of what she offered Sunday in Indianapolis. Okay, a little too slow for my taste, uh, but not as bad as it could be. If you want as bad as it could be, flashback to the 2018 NBA All-Star Game when Fergie apparently decided that she was going to channel her inner Marilyn Monroe singing Happy Birthday to JFK. Okay, well, that was something, but it wasn't the national anthem, and I'm not the only one who felt that way, because as she sang and sang and sang and sang and sang and sang, You saw the NBA players as the camera's panning around, Steph Curry, LeBron James, Draymond Green, looking around like, oh, is this real? Like, is this a parody? Like, is this a joke? What is she doing? And Draymond Green uh, ended up laughing at it, laughing at it. So when they're laughing at it, uh, they're not laughing because they're with you. They're laughing at you, Fergie. Now, you can sing a great anthem, but if you forget the words, 
it's not a great anthem. In fact, it's a bad anthem. Here's Lady Antebellum, back when you could be Lady Antebellum, which you can't be anymore, of course. But uh, this is Lady Antebellum in a Nashville Predators playoff game. Whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight were so gallantly weaved, were so gallantly streamed. Okay, they saved it, but no. Got to get the words right. Not hard to learn the words. Got to sing it about 50, 60, 70, 80 times. You're allowed to have notes. You're allowed to have an earpiece. Got to get the words right. But getting the words right doesn't guarantee you that it's going to be a good anthem. As proof, I submit comedian Roseanne Barr. So she had the words right at the beginning. Uh, she got very little else right, including the uh, crotch grab at the end. Who can ever forget that? Uh, hard though we may try. Now, speaking of unforgettable, when you ask people about the worst national anthem ever sung, many of them will cite the anthem sung by Carl Lewis, Olympic hero at a New York Nets NBA game. And the Rockets rip Uh-oh. Uh, Given what you just heard, it should not surprise you that he did not, in fact, make up for it because there is no making up for it. And a lot of the reasons why people get into trouble singing the anthem is they because they try to do too much with it. It is a difficult song to sing. It is a song, though, that has tremendous history behind it. And it's sad that somebody like Carl Lewis, who is one of, if not the most amazing Olympic athletes ever, is almost more defined by his bad national anthem than he was by his sprinting talents or his long jumping talents. When you type Carl Lewis into the search bar at YouTube, it doesn't say Carl Lewis, gold medal, 100-meter dash, Carl Lewis, gold medal, long jump. It says Carl Lewis, national anthem. So that's the thing that people search for regarding Carl Lewis more than anything else is his national anthem. The man has nine gold medals and one silver medal. He's one of like six guys to win the gold medal in the same event, four straight Olympics, but he's known for singing a bad national anthem. Jules wasn't that bad Sunday in Indianapolis, but again, nobody who messes up the anthem singing it in the traditional way goes down in infamy. You only do that when you try to improve on it, which is so often the case. You go down in infamy when you try to improve on something that is a quintessential American tradition. There's nothing wrong with singing the anthem the way the anthem was written, the way the anthem was intended, and we would do well to teach our kids that. Maybe then they would appreciate the anthem more. Maybe then they would appreciate our country more because then we would be teaching them that we have a history worth celebrating. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.